Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hi everybody, my name is Ronnie from Equine Voices and special guest is Warwick Schiller and I'm so excited, I'm beyond excited. I'm going to introduce Warwick and he can explain what it is he does, how he started his life with horses and the training and where he is today. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring on Warwick. G'day Ronnie, how's it going? Hi, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit shaky, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm a little bit so, shaky too. Oh, bless you. <laughs> so for people that don't know who you are, Tell us a little bit about before you came to the States and then what it is that you wanted to do. So you want to do horse training. So the floor's yours, off you go. It's a pretty short story. Grew up on a 1200 acre sheep and wheat farm in Australia. We always had horses. Rode horses as a kid. I probably started riding when I was about seven, I'm thinking. And ended up really getting into the quarter horses. So the, the Western type riding. Started out in pony club and I always had a fascination with the Western horse in America. So I always wanted to kind of come to America at some point in time. And when I was about 23, I got the opportunity to come over here. I originally came over for a year and got a job within two weeks working for a horse trainer. And, and uh, I thought I was just going to learn how to train horses. Reining was what I was interested in at the time. I thought I wanted just to learn how to train reining horses, a little bit about training. You can't learn how to do it in a year, but learn a little bit about training reining horses. And I'd go home and just play with my horses and after a year working for this guy I was on the porch leaving the day I was leaving we shook hands and he said if you want to come back I, I'll give you a job he said because you could do this for a living if you wanted to and for me I've never really had a whole lot of self-confidence you know I wasn't a big thinker I was probably a big dreamer it was kind of dreaming not uh, believing really but when he said that I thought well that's interesting you know and my wife I'd met her that year she wasn't my wife at the time I chased her and she ran like a scalded cat so when I went back to Australia I had that job offer and then after I moved back to Australia my wife I guess she missed me chasing her around and her letters got nicer <laughs> and so I so that was in 1991 and so I came back in 1992 and apart from a four-year stint in Australia I've been here since then that's brilliant. I like the bit about chasing. And then she got nicer with the letters. <laughs> yeah, she you missed me chasing her. Robin, she deals with horses in her own right. So she's a skilled horsewoman herself, isn't she? Yeah, she always says she's been riding since before she could walk because her mum had her on the front of the front of the horse with her before she could walk. So she's probably been riding longer than I have. So I'm just going to just explain to people that I was so lucky that I had the chance to meet you. And I think it was quite a few years ago. I can't remember what year, you came to Sovereign Court Hoss and you was doing a clinic. And before then, I was aware of you from YouTube, which you've got a big following on YouTube. You've got a big following anyway. And I like the way that you seem to be around horses. And obviously, when you're looking at things, you get a perspective from what you see, but you don't actually know the real person. I think it was a local radio station and there was advertising, you can win a ticket to go see Warwick Schiller, a local radio station. And I didn't thinking, know about that. I was thinking, oh my God. And, and it said, if you go onto their Facebook page, you could win a ticket. And I thought, I never win anything, but it's worth a try. So you just had to put your name down basically and, and say why you wanted to win a ticket. And to my surprise, I got this email saying, congratulations, you've won an auditor's ticket to go see Warwick. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, 
And it was about a two hour drive to where I was going to come and see you. And I walked in the building thinking, well, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go, but I know the arena's that way. And I stuck my head around this office and you were stood in there with a Stetson, obviously dressed, you know, dressed as you do. And I goes, oh, hi, are you Warwick Schiller? Are you? And you said, yes, you just put your hand out and says, yes, I am. But I said, hi, I'm Ronnie. I've won a ticket just to come and see you. I thought I'd say hello. And you introduced me to Tyler. And you were so humble and so nice in that five minute meeting. I just thought, my goodness, this guy's a nice guy. He's not up himself. He's just approachable. And then I said, I'm going to leave you to get on with what you're going to do. You've got a busy day. I'll go sit down. So I was watching the horses. And to be honest, I can't remember a lot about what I saw. But what I remember is you shaking my hand and making me feel very welcome. And I, I remember that to this day. So to me, that's a very cool was, story. You was a nice, you came across to me. My gut was telling me, this is a nice person. This is a genuine person. I wanted to share that with you because that has stuck with me. I've got another sh- a story to share, but I'll do that a little bit later on. So you was in your twenties when you came over. <laughs> Who was Warwick then? You came to the States and you got this amazing opportunity As far as working with horses, what sort of process was you thinking of looking at? Where was you then? Does that make sense? Well, yeah, there's probably a couple of different ways. As far as with the horses, I could ride, but I had no idea about training. I had no idea about breaking things down to steps and having a a process. You know, I'd been riding all my life and and could could kind of get things done with horses, but I didn't really have a process. And at the time, it was maybe a bit more intuition than it was process. And then... After I started training horses, I probably got too much away from the intuition and spent the next 25 years just learning more about process. And luckily, um, here about six years ago, so it would have been after I met you. So that was probably 2013 or 14, something like that. Yeah, luckily my wife bought a horse, that he was a, he was a reigning horse, and he was a very, very talented horse, but they couldn't, in the reigning deal, what they call get him shown. Like they couldn't show off his, all these talents that he could do in the show ring because of various reasons. He would spook at the judges' chairs and things like that. And at the time I had probably, I don't know, 15 million views on my YouTube channel and I was doing clinics all around the world, like where I met you, things like that. And so I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I know what the hell I'm talking about. And I said, buy the horse, I can fix that. Thinking I could fix most anything at the time. And yet the spooking at the judges' chairs and stuff, that wasn't a big deal. But this horse just had a level of being inside his own head, like a level of shutdown that I actually couldn't help him be any different. And so he was really good for me because at that point in time, I'd been traveling around the world, I'd doing clinics all over the place, and I help people with their horses, and the horses come in and they leave better. The people leave with more knowledge. And so I thought I could fix everything. And I also thought at the time that training was training techniques, you know, I was always learning more stuff, but I'd been learning more about more subtle and more subtle training techniques, but they were still training techniques. You know what I mean? And this horse training techniques didn't make him better. And so I kind of stepped away from trying to change him. I just kind of left him who he was, but it really kind of opened my eyes to, to looking at probably ways of working with horses that I hadn't considered before. Cause I thought, you know, that was 
for the crazy cat ladies. Like the people that can't do anything with horses. Yeah, okay, their horses, they're a good friend or whatever, but they can't do anything with horses. So why would I want to look at that? But yeah, long story short, it kind of took me down, took me down a bit of a, a path that basically changed my life. I look at the world completely differently than I did when I met you whenever it was, seven years ago or whatever. Not just horses, but life in general. So, yeah. And, and, and one of the things that horse did, he was very shut down, but he kind of led me over a period of time, start to understand how shut down I was and how I'd been basically dissociating from the world for a very long time, like such a long time that I had no idea I was doing it because I'd never really been any other way. So he kind of changed my life really, but yeah, definitely changed my life, led me on a new direction. And it's funny, you know, I was a kind of a mainstream sort of a horse trainer and I started getting more into some woo-woo stuff. And I didn't, at the time I didn't think, oh, will this be good for business or whatever? It was just what I was interested in. And Basically, you know, the general public could have rejected me and thought this guy's turned into a bit of a whack job, but it actually didn't turn out that way. It turned out that everybody was wishing there was a bit more of that out there anyway. And it was, was good for business, but nothing I've ever done has been about business. I haven't been much of a planner and I've always been a follow my nose kind of whatever opportunities the universe provides for me sort of thing. And I, I decided to be a horse trainer, but as far as like doing clinics and making videos, I didn't decide to do that. A series of circumstances came along that led me to doing that, but I didn't, people said you need to do this and they wanted me to do it, but I didn't decide and go, Hey, I think I should go around the world and do clinics, or I think I should make videos. I mentioned before we lived in Australia for a short period of time for four years from the end of 2006 to the end of 2010. And while we were there, we were on the board of reigning Australia, which is the, you know, the governing body of the sport of reigning in Australia. And we got on the board to, to help out. And uh, there's a big horse expo in Melbourne, Australia, called Equitana. And at one of the board meetings, they said, oh, Equitana wants someone to do a running demo. Can anybody take the time to get in and do that? And I said, well, I probably live closest. I was about eight hours away from Melbourne. Australia's a big place. And so I said, yeah, I'll go down and do a running demo down there. And when Equitana heard I was coming down there, they said, well, we have this big colt starting competition called uh, Way of the Horse. Would you like to be the commentator, you know, like commentating what's, what's actually going on. And I said, oh yeah, I can do that. So I did that. And the way of the horse thing, there's probably three or 4,000 people in there three days in a row during that thing. And so I got to talk for two or three hours, three days in a row to three or 4,000 people and explain what these other guys were doing with their horses. And after that, I had a lot of phone calls, people going, Hey, we heard you at Equitana and love the way you explain stuff. Would you like to come and do a clinic? And I'm like, well, I've never really thought of doing clinics before. But yeah, if you want me to do one, I can do one. But like I said before, I've never really had a whole lot of self-confidence. So I wasn't the guy who was going to go, yeah, I think I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to start doing clinics. And so then that was probably the last couple of years we were in Australia. And so by the time we moved back to the US in the end of 2010, I'd done enough clinics to realize that quite a few people struggle with their horses, probably because they have a lack of understanding about how horses' minds work. And how you can do some simple things you can do, simple ways you can look at things that, that make it a whole lot easier. And so when we came back to the US, my wife got her old job back. She was in human resources. And I didn't have too many horses in training and I had some time. So I just started making these little videos on my phone, really. Putting them on Facebook and on YouTube about different things you can do to get along with your horse a little easier. And at the time, I don't know if it's the same now, but at the time, 
until you had a certain number of views on your YouTube channel, they wouldn't let you put videos more than 10 minutes long. I guess they don't want you know, like six hours of your cat chasing a laser pointer up and down the hallway or something. But people wanted longer videos. And so I had to go and find this online um, video hosting site that I had to pay money to host the videos on. And so I started charging people to watch these videos. And basically that's my business these days is an online video platform plus clinics or pre-COVID. Clinics is part of it and the online video platform is the other part of it. But neither of those two things were because I said, yeah, I think I should do this. Both of those things came about because other people wanted it and asked me to do it. But if you, if you go back far enough, and this is a, a life lesson that if you're religious, it's in the Bible, you know, wh whatever. But those two things came about giving with no thought of anything in return. Those three things, going on the board of running Australia, I wasn't trying to get anything out of it. It was a pain in my backside to do it. But then going to horse expo, volunteering to go to the horse expo just to help out. That's where all the clinic stuff came from. And then trying to make these little videos to, to help people understand their horses a little bit better. Then the other thing came from that. But there was no, like I had a guy on, his, I was on a guy's podcast last year. He has a podcast called Horse Biz or something like that. And it's about the horse business. And he's trying to pick my brain about so what's your business plan and how did you strategize? And I'm like, there wasn't any of that. I, I was a horse trainer. That was my business. All this other stuff was just stuff that I was doing on the side to help people and it just evolved. I mean, there was no plan there. But you know what? A lot of the people that, that follow people like me, females between the age of 35 and 65, because that's what the demographic is. It's a big peak in the middle there. And they're all probably looking for spiritual enlightenment. So why don't I go down that path? You know, there was, there was no ulterior motives or anything. It was just kind of what I felt I should be doing at the time. And it's worked out quite well. And it's funny how life works out because none of that, there wasn't a plan to do any of that stuff. Yeah. And that's what's so wonderful about it. And it wouldn't have worked if that would have been your attitude or it might have worked, but it, the rewards might have not been what you wanted or there would have been a, a bit of a payback somewhere. But I, that's what I love about your podcast. So for people that don't know, Warwick does amazing podcasts and I tend to listen to those in the car. I'm usually in the car when I'm listening to podcasts and, um, and I love them, but I love them because they, they are horse related. But for me, I love them because of how raw you are, how authentic, if you're feeling like you want to cry or you get emotional, you say it as it comes. And I love that. It's very authentic and it's very encouraging because you're not putting on a mask. You're a stranger to me. I only know you from what I see in here, but my gut is telling me that you're a genuine guy and what you share and show is because you generally want people to be enlightened to be informed and to find another way and it's not that you're saying this is what you should do but you're sharing your experiences and I love it and and sometimes I'd been going through my own stuff and I'd we're all on a journey I know it sounds really cliche but we're all trying to get to be the best that we possibly can and a lot of that is is working on yourself in fact most of it's working on yourself and and when you work on yourself your horses improve Sometimes the things that are wrong with your horses dissolve because you've worked on yourself, but not always, I know. And I would be working on something on myself and I've got lots of good friends that work with the mind and they've helped me as well. 
So I come at this from sort of scientific and also spiritual and intuitive and energy. I, for me, it's energy. That's because that's how I talk. It's comfortable. I don't call it the almighty. It's the universe because it just sits comfortable for me. And I'd be listening to your podcast and I'd be trying to work, usually late, by the way. I'm always five minutes late. And I'd be trying to work and there'd be a point where you said something and it would be like, oh my God, that was me last week. You'd explain what happened. You'd say, you maybe won't understand what I'm talking about. I'd be going, no, I do, because that's happened to me, worry. And then I'd get to work and I'd be absolutely buzzing. And I thought, oh my God. And then the same thing would happen again. This kept happening. So it's almost like, I was having an epiphany, something was happening, and you was saying what would happen to you, but yours had happened maybe a little while before. But it was like the universe was saying, there you go, Ronnie, you're on the right path. And that's why I, I was getting excited. So I, I love your podcast. Yeah, for me, it's the story of the people that you interview and their synchronicities and, and where their journey is and how they got there and opportunities came up. And when you look back, there's lots of opportunities, but you don't always recognize them, even the ones that you don't necessarily want. So, yeah, I, I love your podcasts. Absolutely love them. Yeah, thank you. They've, they've, um, I've just been very lucky. I've had amazing guests on there. And the podcast, you know, it's called The Journey on Podcast, but it wasn't really meant to, I don't know what it was meant to be, but my wife said, you know, you should start on a podcast. And she actually wanted me to do it almost like a calling radio show, like pre-record people messages asking questions about their horses and I kind of answer them and the first episode I did was called changes and it was basically about the way I look at things now versus the way I had looked at things for a very long time and that was the first I think that one's probably had the most downloads of any podcast I've done and then the second one was more about that and it was uh, it was called the science of connection I think it was about polyvagal theory and all that sort of stuff and then I had a guest, and I forget who it was. It might have been Jane Pike, I can't remember. But I had someone, a friend of mine, who's just amazing. And that podcast was eye-opening. It's then I got another guest who was just amazing, another guest who was amazing. Yeah, some of the people I've had on there, I, I know them. And some of the people I've never met them before. But I've listened to them afterwards too. Because when you're in that conversation, you can't stop and think about what they just said. You're back and forth, you're in the conversation. But some of them, I don't know if you listen to the one with Nashawn Cook or Rupert Isaacson. You know, I listened to them two or three times and afterwards, and I'd have to press pause and like sit and stare at the wall for a while, especially with those two. I mean, a lot of the people, it's been like that. But what I really have been trying to do with those guests is and some of them are like well-known horse people, but trying to get to the, the stuff they don't talk about in their horse training stuff that they might keep to themselves, but it's an integral part of that. And there's a lady named Karen Rolfe. So Karen Rolfe was a dressage trainer here in the US, and then she got into more of the horsemanshipy side of stuff and discovered that. Now she has a website called Dressage Naturally. Really cool lady. And I knew of her, but I didn't know her. And I got her on the podcast and I thought this is just going to be about how she was an uptight dressage lady. And then she kind of got more into the horsemanshipy thing and how maybe that's changed her life or whatever. But even before that bit, you know, we haven't got to that bit. And she's talking about how she was in Mexico on the, the top of the temple of the sun with the shaman who could make himself disappear and reappear and yada, yada. I'm like, whoa, you are the exact right person for the podcast. People like that just show up all the time. It's pretty crazy. 
I'm really into shamanic stuff these days, so indigenous healing and indigenous wisdom and yeah, I'm into all that stuff these days. Actually, we're doing this tonight because you gave me inspiration. So doing interviews came about, I used to belong, I still belong to a group. I think it was on lockdown and it was a group of people that just want to talk about their experiences and where they'd want to go. It's just like a platform so you can have a play around. So if somebody wanted to try and practice their intuition they could go there and they could do it comfortably without being judged, but still get feedback. And it's just a lovely community. And the lady that runs the group used to do, it's called Go Live Wednesday. And what she would say, you know, go live and just talk about yourself and your experiences. Now I've got in my phone, I've got thousands of pictures of horses, mainly my horse, by the way. And there's very few pictures of me because I don't like pictures of me. And she says, oh, you can do a recording, you can go live. I remember in the stable, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record something. I don't know what I'm saying, I'm going to record something. And I pressed record and I was, I was <clears throat> right, okay, here we go. And I started talking and thought, no, no, I don't like that, I'll do it again. Here we go again. No, I don't like that, I'll do it again. And I did this about five times. I think, oh, for God's sake, just press the bloody button. So I pressed live and I introduced myself and then as, as I was talking, because I do communicate intuitively with the horses, as I was talking, the same feeling came. So I, I knew information was coming through. And it was basically just nothing like, wow, that was an amazing speech. It was just to say who you are and don't be afraid to show people the real you. And, and it was just a little chit-chat. And I come off and my heart was going boom, 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 boom. I was thinking, oh my God, I need to delete that. And then I got some feedback. As much as it scared bejesus out of me, I actually liked it. So I did this a few times. And there was moments when I would show my rawness as well. I was talking about something and I was telling people that don't give up. And I can't remember what I was talking about, but it was quite emotional. So I was showing my emotional, but it wasn't sad it was just don't give up on your intuition it's there it's telling you so don't just settle move forward and this is what I was trying to say to people you know only you can do this and this is how I got onto this so that experience and somebody actually joined me to this group I, I didn't really know anything about it and I can remember thinking I don't know what I'm doing here. it's not my sort of thing but boy, was it my sort of thing because it's got me to do this. And this is such a treat to chat to people like yourself. And I virtually asked them and I'm very humbled and very grateful that they reply. And when they say, yes, it's just lovely, absolutely lovely. And I listened to your podcast with Nashon and I was sure. in the car driving home and it was a Sunday and I remember listening to it and I pulled up outside and I sat there. And it was like, wow. And then I did a little post. I was saying, you've got to listen to this guy. There's something about him. And it's not so much the words. It's the energy. It's vibration. His words are sending out. And I came and sat on the sofa. And I was sat there for about 10 minutes in a day thinking, I know there's been a shift in me because it feels different. Because I, I, I know when my energy changes. And he's shifted something and I don't know what it is and I can't prove it. But the conversation that you had, his vibration, I think it's more than he realizes probably. And that sounds very, very biblical, but it's not meant to. But he, yeah. Oh, no, biblical is the right word. Like I have said on numerous occasions after that 
interview with Nashawn Cook, I felt like I was the witness to the Sermon on the Mound or I was listening to a prophet. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> that's what it felt like. But then at some point in time, he said something and I said, can you say that again? And he goes, no, because it's almost like he was downloading stuff from somewhere. Yeah. Like channeling something. Because he all start off on a, not a rant, but a long soliloquy about something or other, but he's not thinking about it. It's just coming out of him. And he's only 33 years old, I think. And I mean, I remember when I asked him how old you are, and he said, I'm 33. And I said, you sure you're not 3,300? Yeah, he was, uh, you are not the only person who's told me that listening to that podcast with Nishan Cook changed something in the moment, changed something in me. But I mean, I've heard that. A lot is, yeah, he's, there's something else there going. Mm, yeah, definitely. On a vibration. Of, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and, and I think he's a, you know, he's a certain kind of person, but, you know, we've all had life experiences, but you may probably remember him saying this on the podcast, but his mentor when he was in college was Martin Luther King's speechwriter. I mean, how do you talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, him and, and Rupert Isaacs were probably, for me, the the most mind-boggling ones. I mean, they're all great, but Rupert Isaacson, he was like lived wisdom wise. And Nashon Cook was like downloading, channeling something from somewhere wise, you know. And as he talks, he's very grateful about his opportunities. And when he talks, it's from the heart, you know, oh, yeah. it doesn't, you can feel the depths and it's pulling from his heart. And yeah, you can yeah, feel. I think that guy has no walls up. Like he's just Fully hope. It's all right there. Yeah. 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 Um, there's a few people. Can you see these, by the way? Yeah, I just actually, I was just having a look at yeah. it. So Kay Hammond said, has he got plans to come to the UK in 2022? I do. I had plans to come to the UK in 2020, but it didn't work. So yeah, I haven't organized them yet. So the last time I was in the UK was 2019. I did a clinic in East Sussex, and then I did one in Shropshire, I think, and then I went somewhere else, and then I went over to Yorkshire, I think, and then I went up to just above Edinburgh. But I plan to do something similar, like crisscross all over the place, probably in the summer, probably in July or August, about the same time I did it before. So we don't have them organized yet, but yeah, we, 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 we're planning on that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I mean, we're out of the woodwork yet. Europe is now having a fourth wave of COVID, and yeah, I know. Yeah, Australia has just opened back up, and I usually go to Australia four or five times a year to do clinics. And Rob and I are going to go back in January to visit my family, just because I haven't seen them for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I won't be doing any any clinics then yet, because in Australia, I don't think you can actually cross the border from one state to the other. Okay. Okay. Maybe we can get them to Keyso International. Where is that? So Kiso, remind me to tell you a story about that. That's another synchronicity. Kiso is an indoor arena. They have an outdoor arena as well, and they do dressage and show jumping. And they have summer camps where, where you can take your horses and stay for like three nights. And you get to have teachers and have a go at jumping. And there's cross-country, this big, massive cross-country course. And you build up your confidence so you can do as little or as much as you want. I'll tell you a story about that in a second. So here's Kathy. Obviously, she's a friend of yours. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Kathy. How's it going? 
So Kathy's another synchronicity. I don't know if you want me to tell you all these stories. I'll hear all about synchronicity. Something to do with Kathy. It's very synchronicity as a person. I've done an interview with her and I didn't know her. And so I run a little group and it's just a small group of lovely people and we do meditations and stuff, which has gone from the group that I was talking about earlier. I've sort of gone off on my own little thing, which has given me experience with this, how to talk to people and how this works. Because this was all new to me. So I'm doing this, um, I'm doing the editing, I'm doing everything and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So one of the girls in the group who lives in Texas sent me a, a photograph. She'd taken a photograph of her, of her glasses and there was some water droplets on it. And I got this message about five o'clock in the morning and I was like, okay, I'll look at that later. And then when I got up, I looked at it and she says, what do you see? And it looked like a yin and yang symbol with the two dots and um, I said it looks like a, a balance symbol a yin and yang and she and she says yeah bearing in mind this was what she saw on her glasses uh, but she sent it to the group okay so it was what she saw and her experience and I think it was later that day I was looking on the internet and Kathy's site came up and I was looking for some help with my horse and I looked at it, I thought, oh, okay, read it a little bit. And then I went on to the um, reviews. And when I looked onto the reviews, in between her reviews was a symbol. And it was the yin and yang symbol. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. Uh, I thought, right. So I sent her an email and I just says, hi, you don't know me, but for some reason I feel I need to talk to you. Sent her the email. She just happened to be sat at a desk. And she sent me an email straight back. And she said, oh, my goodness, I need to talk to you. So I said, oh, well, I'm just driving to my house, so I'll speak on the way. And we was chatting. And I said, I've no idea, but I'm guided to you because of something I saw. And again, bearing in mind, this photograph was not something that I saw. It was from somebody else that had passed it to me. So that could have been ignored because it was somebody else's sign. But I saw that. So I recognized, OK, that's his sign. And we was talking, and then as we were talking, we were talking about the horses. And I can't remember how, what it happened, but I linked into Teasel and just passed on whatever Teasel said. And she said, oh, I didn't realise you did that. And so I said, oh, well, does it make sense? And she was like, yeah. And so we talked a bit more. And she kindly gave my horse a, a session, which was lovely because she needed that. So that was a synchronicity. And then I got her on and did an interview with her. <laughs> So that was just from somebody sending me a photograph of a speck of water droplet on their spectacles. And from that came the connection to Cathay. And yeah. <laughs> She's lovely, isn't she? She is. She's a lovely lady. A lovely lady. There's a lady here, Je sorry, I'll just say this and then you can carry on, Warwick. Jane listens to your podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, like I said, that po that podcast has just taken a life. It's and we're actually coming up on a million downloads on that thing. Wow, we're about fifty thousand away, I think. So that's pretty exciting. I don't really pay too much attention to the numbers and stuff like that, you know. But here recently, my son said, "Oh, have a look at the the stats on the on the podcast." And so I looked at that, and so then I'm like, "Hmm." I said, "Is that a little or is that a lot?" He goes, "Oh, I think it's a lot." He said, "Have a look at." Like research how many podcasts have had over a million downloads. And, and so I looked at it and we're like in the top, I don't know, 
in the top less than 1% of all podcasts of any variety, which is just, yeah, just kind of mind boggling. But it's, it's also, it's also cool because the podcast is not about horse training. There's plenty of places you can find Mm -hmm. someone's opinion on how you should train your horse. The podcast is really more about the journey, really about connection, about synchronicities, about energy, all of that sort of stuff. And it's, it's so exciting that, that so many people are interested in that sort of thing. That's what excites me these days. And it's a huge platform. And the thing is, if the universe wants to get a message out, which actually comes from us, our two beings, that things have to change and look at things differently, they need um, a voice and they need a platform. And the bigger it is, the better, even if it's one person that you touch, that one person has a conversation with somebody else. What are you laughing at? When you said if the universe wants to get a message out there, I'll tell you a crazy story. You've probably heard this on one of my podcasts, but a few years ago, my wife went to Canada and did an equine assisted learning course because she wanted to, you know, use the horses for some sort of equine assisted learning stuff, self-development through horses. And so she organized a clinic here over on the coast. We're about 45 minutes from California here with some other ladies and they're all quite woo-woo as well. And, and while she was over there, they said, have you, have you seen Denise yet? And Robin's like, Denise, who the hell's Denise? And I said, oh, you got to go see Denise. You know the story I'm going to tell, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gave Robin this phone number to call. So she calls this lady and, hey, this is Denise. And Robin said, oh, I'm, you know, Amber and so-and-so said, i got to come see you. I'm like, okay. Any friend of theirs is friend of mine, come see me. So she makes an appointment to go see this lady. And it turns out this lady is an astrologer. And I think I was in Australia doing clinics at the time. And the next time I call Robin from Australia, she goes, you wouldn't believe what happened, but I went and saw this astrologer. I'm like, really? Because we're not really into astrology. Well, at least I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, she said, you wouldn't believe what this lady can tell from my stars. And she said, she recorded the whole thing. So when you get home, you need to listen to it. So I got back from Australia and listened to it. And I'm like, wow. I need to go see this Denise lady. So I go and see Denise. I want to see what the stars say. So she wants your time of birth, place of birth, date of birth. Anyway, I go and see her and she's looking at the charts and she goes, oh, wow, this is interesting. Oh, you don't see this very often. Oh, uh, you know. And I'm like, what, what? And she goes, ah, it says here you're a, you're a wounded. And this was only a couple of years ago. So this is when I really got into personal growth and energy and synchronicity and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I'd been getting a bit more away from mainstream training and more into some woo-woo stuff. And she says, it says here that in your stars, from the time you've been born, your whole purpose here on this planet is to gather a large group of people and lead them towards consciousness. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's a bit heavy. You know, I'm just a horse trainer. And at the time, I was kind of believing when she said it, but after I left there, I'm like, nah, that's, she Googled me. You know, I've, I've got a name that no one else has. I mean, when you Google Warwickshire, there is only one. So I bet she Googled me. I bet she's full of crap. You know, she's Googled me. So I kind of wrote it off and thought, no, nah, that can't be my purpose here. That's too big a deal for me. And so I, um, oh, about two months later, I was in Michigan doing some clinics and the only thing I know about Michigan, which is the state here in the U.S., is that the two most dangerous cities in the U.S. are in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. Now, I wasn't in either of those two, but, you know. So I got done with the clinic on Sunday night and went to dinner with the clinic organizer, and we stayed at dinner and talked for quite a while. And I left there about 10.30 and had about an hour's drive back to my hotel, and I had to leave early the next morning. So I had to leave the hotel at 
I don't know, four o'clock to drive to the major airport to fly out. And I realized I had to put petrol in the car because I had not paid for the petrol when I bought it. When I rented the car, I thought, well, I really should do that tonight. Otherwise, I'll have to get up at like 2.30 in the morning sort of thing. And so I'm looking for a petrol station on the way back. And I end up in this seedy part of town in this like industrial neighborhood. And I find this petrol station open. So I pull in there and there's probably, I don't know, five or six you know, 20-year-old African-American males standing around in various states of saggy pants and scary-looking, you know. And I'm not much of an urban dweller, so that just freaked me the hell out. And so I jumped out and I, you know, I wanted to pump the petrol and I jumped out and I swiped my car, but then I couldn't get the petrol cap on the car open. I'm like, shit, oh, shit, where's the button? And maybe it's the keys. And I messed around there for a while. And in the end, I'm like, forget it. I'll pay a lot of money for a tank of petrol. I don't care. And I jumped back in the car and went to drive off. And as I did, right on the window beside my head and I turn and look and there's this black guy right there with this big neck tattoo and a bit of skin off one eye right there in the window and I looked at him and he kind of stepped back and put his hands up and he said something like I don't mean you any harm mister but he didn't have like the the voice didn't match what he looked like because he looked like he'd have some sort of a ghetto low low socioeconomic type way of speaking but it sounded educated. So I rolled the window down a bit and I said, can I help you? And he goes, I, I, I don't mean to, to harm you, but can I just tell you a story? And he, he had like an educated accent. He said, I, I'm a gospel singer from Alabama and I've come up here to help build a church, but it got called off and there was some miscommunication and I don't have any money and I've been sleeping rough for a couple of nights and I, I just need $19 to get a room. I've almost got enough money, but I need another $19 to get a room. And he sounded pretty genuine by this point in time. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get him some money. And he said he has a degree in religious studies from some university in the South. And like I said, sounded educated. Regardless of his exterior, what came out of him was a little Nashon cookish, you know. So I turned the car off and I rolled the window down. And I said, I'm Warwick. And I shook hands through the window and he shook hands with me and we're looking each other in the eye. And as we're shaking hands, he starts to sing. And he's right. He's a gospel singer and he can sing. And there's like this deserted petrol station in the middle of the night. It's about 11.30 or so now. There's not much of a sound around except this guy singing and he's singing like he's pretty good a cappella. And so it's kind of mesmerizing. So we're not shaking hands anymore, but I don't let go. We're like just holding hands and I'm looking him in the eye and he's looking me in the eye and it doesn't feel weird. And he sings this whole gospel song, it goes on for about three or four minutes. And we're just looking at each other in the eye, holding hands through the window. Finishes this gospel song and then he starts to pray. And he's praying for me. And we're still holding hands, looking at each other and I, holding hands through the window. And he prays for, I don't know, four or five minutes. Then he finishes his prayer and he kind of looks at me like he had a bit of a download or something. And he goes, I don't know what you'd do from a living mister, but he said, your whole purpose here on this earth is to gather tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people and lead those people towards God. And he leans forward and he goes, but the only thing holding you back is your fear. And I'm like, shit, you got me in one, you know. The rental car I've got is like the, the smallest rental car you can get. It's not like I'm driving a Mercedes. And anyway, in, in, the, in the end, I gave him, gave him a hundred bucks, said, get a good night's sleep, get some food, you know, good luck on your journey, whatever. But I drove out of there and I drove half a block down the road and I pulled over and I was like, holy cow, what just happened then? And I think I wrote the whole story out and texted my son, Tyler. Yeah, so you're talking about if the universe wants you to get a message, it'll give you a message. Well, you know, the universe gave me the message from Denise, but I blew it off. <laughs> so if you, if you blow off a message like that, 
you'll get it in a much more, um, well, it kind of came in a scary fashion, but. Well, you have to you listen to it. Listen the first time, they'll make you listen the second time, yeah. But, to, but that's life, isn't it? If they want you to do, or I want to say they, for me, my belief, everybody's connected. So it's you that's trying to show you, come on, you can do this. And I have conversation with myself and sometimes I'll go, okay, what are you trying to tell me? Because you know you've got to give me it like that, otherwise I'm not going to get it. And I have these conversations of something will happen. I'll go, oh God, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. What is it you want? Um, but I just love the synchronicities. And, and when something happens, I'm going to tell you um, a little story about a friend and her name's Sue. And I was working at Kiso. So I had a client and she organized these camps, uh, summer camps. And she said to me, will you come do some communication at the camp? And I said, what do you want me to do? What's your plan? What is it you want to achieve? So she said, oh, well, if I get you, say, five or six people and you, and you do 15 minutes each host, just say whatever comes and it's a taster. It's, it's so they can have experiences of a little massage and things like that. So they get tasters of different things. So I was like, I, I have no idea if that worked because before I used to think I've got to concentrate, I've got to focus, I've got to just clear my mind, I've got to do this. I don't do that now. I just get in the car. As soon as I'm driving, it's like, oh, we're in. She's not focusing on anything else. She's only got one thing to focus on. And um, I says, well, let's go for like 20 minutes because but do it in like half hour booking. So if I go over 10 minutes, then that's okay because it depends what comes up. And I think the first camp I did, I'd got eight. Then it went up to 10 horses. And I was like, holy shit, how am I going to do that? What if I get there nothing happens? And I'd be driving there and my hands were really clammy. I was going, oh my God, what if it doesn't work? What am I going to do? And my heart's going boom, 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 boom. And uh, and I just got in time for the first one by the skin of my teeth. And I thought, right, I've got a list of who I'm going to see. Just take a breath and get in there. And I went in to see the first one. And that went okay. And then I went to see the second one and that went okay. And by the third one, I was like, it's working. And it did. It was always what's relevant and what was needed on the day or what was what was going on with the person on the day. Because my work is very much is do with a person. It's 90% the person and the horse wants me to sort the person out so they can take a breath sometimes. Mine too. So that's how it works. Yeah, so that was my first introduction to camp and it did work. And it was like, okay. And it was really funny. Sometimes there would be a pattern. There would be a similar thing going through each one. Not everyone, but there would be a similar pattern because I'd be saying, I hope the next person doesn't think I'm just saying the same thing. And I would sort of say a few things the same, but it would have a different feeling with it. And then when I chatted to them afterwards, because we go for coffee, they all seemed pleased. It fitted in well what they needed. And one day I saw a lovely lady and she says, can you come and see my horse? So I went to see the horse and was chatting away and we came out and then chat afterwards. And she says, so who would you recommend for me to help me help with my horses? Who would you recommend? And I stood there and in my head I was thinking, well, there's only two people I'd recommend and that's Matt Rashid and Warwick Schiller. But that's highly unlikely, isn't it? Because not in this country. So I says, oh, perhaps if you get somebody that's recommended, you know, somebody that's sympathetic, not come in there and sort your horse out. It's about listening to the horse and trust that your horse knows if that's the right person. So she was like, okay, okay. Anyway, we went for a coffee. It was lunchtime, so we all went for coffee. 
And we sat outside around this big round table. It was a really sunny, beautiful day. And I was just listening to him chatting and she said, oh, I've got to go to, to Heathrow and pick Mark up in a couple of days. And my ears pricked up. And she said, yeah, I've got to pick him up and get him ready for the clinic. And I was like, that would be Mark Rashid by any chance, would it? And she went, yeah, Mark and I the clinic. I went, oh my God. I said, he was the first person in my mind that I was going to recommend, but I thought that's not going to happen. And she says, oh yeah, I organised in his clinic in the UK. I was like, holy Moses, who writes this stuff? I would love to meet him. I've read his books and I, I would really like to meet him. So she got me later and she says, well, I've got another two horses. How about you come and see them and I'll get you a ticket to come and, and see him. So that's what happened. So that was the universe going there. I go, Ronnie, that's for you. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And she's out there at the minute. She's with Mark and Chrissy. She's spending some time with him. I just spent the weekend with Mark and Chrissy here recently. Her and I really hit it off. Like last night, she messaged me, have you read this book? Like, yeah, I'm, you know, trading book stuff back and forth. <laughs> yeah, she's lovely. I mean, Mark was great too, but I really hit it off with Chrissy. We um, read a lot in common. She's a very quiet lady. She's very observant. She watches. I only know her a little bit from, but again, she was another person that was very kind and, and welcoming. But that was just an opportunity that was provided that came along. I mean, what is the chance of that? But it was so funny. I was thinking, well, it's either Warwick or, but you're not going to meet them. <laughs> so we've got quite a few comments. So Jane, the lady that came on early, I don't know if she's still here. She works with people and horses mm. and she works very much with energy. When I say healing, that's a funny word because people think you're going to cure them of everything without taking responsibility of things. But she does work with energy and she always says, it's not me. I just turn up. And it comes through. And Sam Granger's up early because Sam is in Australia. Thank you, everybody that's coming on, by the way, and saying hi to Warwick. Really appreciate that. It's so nice. Oh, no, it's not that early in Australia. It's eight o'clock on Saturday morning, so it's not that early. Okay. So what time is it where you are? It is one o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. So tell us about your horses. So you've got Bundy. I know a little bit from your videos of Sherlock and Bundy. And is it chance is he the new baby? Well, Chance is not really a new baby because he's two now. Yeah, he's two. He's two. Two and a half. Rupert is the new baby. He's Rupert's probably six months old now. Yeah, so we have nine, I think. Um, so Petey and Oscar, so they're the two older horses that Robin and I showed at the World of Question Games in the reigning three years ago. Bundy, we probably had him the longest because I bought him as a yearling. And then we have Sherlock, and Sherlock's my sensei. He's the one that. Taught me a lot. And then we have another horse named Ray. So he's a stallion with a big white head on him. And we bought him last year. And he was like Sherlock to where he was very shut down, like very efficiently shut down. Like he worked well, you know, like he, there's no behavioral issues except he's just kind of in his head. So it was good when we got him because I knew how to get him out of that. And uh, he's an interesting character because I think he's had some traumatic stuff and he's deaf too he's deaf as a post and so i haven't got him figured out yet there's still some weird things in there that i'm not in a hurry to try to sort out because i'm not sure how to address them but yeah he's got some weird stuff so he's an interesting little character who else do we have can i sorry what to interrupt you as you were talking about sorry what was the name that i was again right so he's the one that's deaf mm -hmm. so as you were talking about ray the picture he was giving me in his head is almost, the only way I can describe it is, 
So if you were listening to somebody in a foreign language and you was trying to decipher it, obviously you're listening, and in your head you were trying to translate it into English, there's, a, there's almost like two halves trying to communicate, trying to exchange. And this is the picture that he's given me. The only way I can describe it is it's on a sound levels because he's talking about sound, which is a bit strange because he's just said he's deaf. So I don't know what he's meaning from that. You know, it's interesting. When you have almost a million downloads on your podcast, you do get some people who message you and say, oh, I should be on your podcast. I don't think I've ever had anybody on my podcast who messaged me and said, I should be on your podcast. <laughs> but there was a, a lady messaged me and she's some sort of an animal communicator and she said, I should be on your podcast because and she's got this really great story about how she had a near-death experience and then after that she could get communication from animals and stuff. And the story's great. And she said, I, I tell you what, I will give you a free session. I'm like, sure. So I chose Ray. Now, the weird thing about him is he spooks at things sometimes. And those things, it always has to do with things taller than him. Like the first horse show we're talking to, there was a building. And it's a standstill building. And he walked almost all the way up to it, but then started freaking out like in the worst way. Sometimes trail riding him around the neighborhood, if we go past a tree, he'll kind of grab his ass and scoot. He's good to pass the stop sign the other day. You know what I mean? We don't blanket him now, rug him now, because he's out in the pasture with Oscar. But when we first got him, and American rugs, a lot of them don't have front straps. So you just put it over their head. And with him, if you picked it up too high, he would freak out and run to the back of his stall and like bounce off the wall sort of thing. So it's got something to do with high. And so this lady, she said, so what would you like to know? You know, she was telling me all this stuff that didn't sound anything like Ray. And I said, well, he spooks at some things and I'm not sure what he spooks at. I'm not sure what he spooks at. I know it's got something to do with tall things, high things, but I'm not sure what. I can't pin it down. And so I wasn't being dishonest. I said, he spooks, but I can't tell what he spooks at. And, and she said, it had nothing to do with height. And then she said, and it's not his eyesight because his eyesight's perfectly fine. I said, well, how's his hearing? She goes, oh, he is perfectly fine. And so right then I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm not having you on my podcast. <laughs> you know, you tell me he is perfectly fine, but we know he's as deaf as a post. And she gave me some other thing about the spooking thing. It was interesting because with me, because we have a lot of stuff on social media or whatever, it's hard to find someone who doesn't know anything about our horses. And so it's really hard to go, well, do they know what they're talking about? Or are they just kind of like when I didn't believe Denise because obviously she's looked me up or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. But was, yeah, this lady was interesting. Like she couldn't nail the, couldn't nail the spooky thing. She gave me some other completely random excuse that had nothing to do with it. And also that she said, oh, he's perfectly fine. So yeah, I don't think that lady's going to be on the podcast. The story was great. You know, one of the podcasts I did was on manifesting and animal communicators. And I had some experience with some animal communicators years ago that were just spooky. But as you would probably know, everybody's an animal communicator. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's, it's intuitive. It's, it's, well, but the, the thing is, some people are really good at it and some people think they're really good at it. And, and trying to, for me, trying to decipher between the two, and especially, like I said, being in the public eye a bit, people know quite a bit about our horses. So it's, it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to find someone where I, like the first one I ever used that really amazed the hell out of me, I told her nothing. She knew nothing about the horses. I gave her nothing and she gave me everything. And it was like, so she didn't fish, but I've had quite a few that 
that fish, like, well, how old is he? And what is he like? You know, like they ask all the questions and kind of fill in the blanks. But yeah, I really would love to find that the one, the original one that I did a podcast about because she was, she was something else. Can you, can you not find, can you not find her? No, I can't find her. No. no. I'd like to find someone like her. You know, like I said, I, I want to try to find someone who knows nothing about any of our horses. Uh, As a communicator, so this is just me speaking about me because I can never talk about anybody else. We all work in our own way. My training is self-taught and it was my own horse that got me into this because I wanted to fix her, make her all okay. And I thought she could only tell me. And because I had friends that like group sessions and and, and get together, for me, it was just for the tea and cake, really, because I love tea and cake. So, and I used to be sat there and would do a meditation. You think, oh God, I never get anything. I'd sit there and then we'd talk about what came through into our head. And to my amazement, and I mean, everybody was the same. I'd be saying something and it wasn't people that I knew. And uh, they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, that's relevant. And you say, oh, really? So believing in yourself is a big thing. It, it's about believing in yourself. But also there's a thin line between Saying what you want to say and then feeling that people are going to judge you and then is it ego and is it this, that and the other and you end up sort of talking yourself out of things. So getting back to talking about things, I used to go in the stable and I used to go, right, I've got my eyes shut. I used to go out practicing on friends. I would go sit in the field and write down whatever came into my head and I'd have a notebook and I used to just look around and then if my eye was drawn to a horse, I'd write down whatever came in and the colour of the horse. And then afterwards, I would, I would say, does that mean anything? And it was like chit-chat, really. It was just, it was conversations that their owner would know about. It's changed since then because it's evolved into its own thing. So I'd pass messages on, but I don't want to be influenced by what I see. So I'm going to stand there with my eyes closed. And I thought, actually, it's not quite a safe thing to do around horses. <laughs> so I thought, no, I'll skip that bit. But I didn't want to be influenced. And sometimes, to the point, I'd be... I'd be saying about the, the animal because they could be a female, a mare, but they would have a masculine energy and I would give it as this. And then I'd forget and I'd have to go, oh yeah, it is a mare. <laughs> and I didn't look at them. I didn't scan them and I didn't look at every knock and bolt. I would just give whatever it was. And for me, I found it was very much not about the past. It was about now and how to move forward. So if people wanted to know what happened to them, I would get whatever the horses wanted to share if it was relevant. I wouldn't ask for it because I found actually that takes a lot of time and energy and what they want. They don't want to talk about past, but they want to change things now. So for me personally, it's very much, that's where my work is. I go in, I explain it, and it's about now. Uh, I can ask a question, whether they get the answer is another matter. But it's, usually aimed at maybe the person and and to help them see what they probably see already and feel but they just need you know somebody else to maybe point it out and to give them the encouragement say you do know your horse so trust that feeling trust that feeling because your horse is telling you when you get it right and it's lovely to encourage somebody else to experience something and then to get back to you and say it's changed there's a connection now there's something's changed and I say yeah but you've done that all I've done is facilitated it and pointed you in the right direction sometimes you get to see animals that are, are ready to go and I, I always think of that as an honor 
And again, I don't always know until I'm there why I'm going. But what happens is when I get in my car and put the radio on, some music comes on. And depending on the music, it gives me a bit of a clue. If it's melancholy music, I'm like, okay, who am I going to see today? What's going to happen today? So I do get bits of clues, but I only get the information that I need, no more, no less. So I'm not going to paint the whole picture of any animal. It's what's important at that time. And if that person starts to cry and and they let go, that's it. That might be all that's needed. It's just them to let go of something. Sorry, I'm I'm taking on your time. It should be you talking. This is your podcast. Let's hear it. I went to see a lady. I won't mention the name. She was an absolutely lovely lady. And she got this beautiful horse. And... I always say, do you know anything about animal communication? And this lady said, oh, yeah, yeah. I had somebody a couple of weeks ago. So before I used to think, what right have I got to do this work? Who's going to believe me? Because if somebody else was mentioned, I could feel myself. I don't do that now. So I said, okay. I said, so you don't feel that you got your answer? And she's like, no. So I said, okay, so I'll explain how it works. You might not get all your answers. It might not be what you want to hear, but I promise I'll give you everything I do from my heart. You know, I can only give you that. I don't make it fit. It's whatever comes out and that and that's it. Do you sort me to carry on? And she says, yes, please. So we went in and saw the horse. And as we went through, it was quite obvious, bless her, that she'd got so much going on in her life. And she was she was a riding instructor so there was a big pressure that she had to be seen to be the perfect model for what she teaches which isn't always the case in life but she'd got so much going on and I says you've just got to sort yourself out and help yourself because you're so overloaded with all this stuff that your poor horse can't cope with his insecurities and yours too and it almost gave her permission to go, okay, and to take a breath and just to take a step back and just to take the pressure off. And she sent me a lovely uh, message just to let me know that, that she'd got some help and, and things were going in the right direction, which was lovely because that's what it's about at the end of the day. It's about helping somebody help themselves, not going there saying, I do this. It's about speaking from your heart. And I don't always have to know what it is and why I'm there. I just know there's been a change, a shift in energy. It might be a tiny shift, but I know there's been a shift. And the person knows that. And the horse, because they go off and they lick and chew and they take a breath. And they might walk out on three legs, but they're a lot happier. (laughs) Yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? I really think that horses are here to help us. And I think everybody that has a horse is learning stuff. Yeah. Sometimes they're just basic life lessons and sometimes I think it's deeper stuff. But I think the cool thing about horses is the deeper you want to go, the deeper they will take you. So like there's no end to it, you know. Yeah. You can keep going down that rabbit hole forever. It's not like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've learned all I'm going to learn from this horse sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just looking at the time and I'm conscious that I've got your time. I mean, if you're happy to chat about anything else. Ask away. <laughs> I know it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, isn't it? It is Thanksgiving. To- oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do this one. Okay. And I've done this with one other person, but it 
came into my head today. I was thinking, really? Okay, I'll go with it. So if you could go back in time, Warwick, what I want you to do is don't overthink about it. I want you to think about the first age that pops into your head. Go back in time and speak to that young man. Okay. And I want you to see that person in your mind's eye, to feel that person, which is you. What would you need to say to that person to encourage them? I've been through this so many times in therapy, it's not funny. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you, do you want to just skip that one? <laughs> no, 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 I can I can definitely go there. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of memories from when I was younger, and I think a lot of people had different traumas have that too. But, yeah, there's a number of different things. But for me, personally, I'd be going back to probably a four or five-year-old me and, and teaching myself how to be brave. Yeah, I'd say I'd be teaching myself how to be brave, and that doesn't mean reckless or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's what it would be because a lot of the self-judgment and all the self-loathing and stuff that you assemble over a lifetime of stuff it comes back a lot to that, and yeah, I think that probably would be where I would go, but yeah. So when you say brave, do you mean brave in, in speaking up for yourself or just being confident in yourself all of the above all all of the above you know like growing up in the growing up in the you know the generation of oh well boys don't show fear boys don't cry whatever so you you learn to hide that when you are afraid but instead of being able to talk about it and work through it you just got to shut up but then there's also the era that grew, i grew up in is the you know children are seen and not heard sort of thing so you kind of don't have a bit of a voice and then also the parenting style everybody this is not my parents every parent around at the time had the parenting style of of stop crying or give you something to cry about and you know i read a meme on facebook a little while ago and it said when your parents said stop crying or i'll give you something to cry about you thought they're going to hit you but instead they were going to give you a lifetime of mental illness because the thing that comes out of that stop crying when I, if you're, and I'll, or I'll give you something to cry about mentality or parenting style is the child is concerned about something. They have a genuine concern to them. might not seem like a genuine concern to the parent, but it's a genuine concern to them about something. And they need someone to support them. And when the parent says stop crying about that or I'll give you something to cry about, you're kind of like, I'm screwed. This thing over here scares me, and the one person that I want to back me up is threatened to scare me even worse than the thing that scares me. And I'm doing a lot of inner work and going to like, like I went to a men's emotional resilience retreat last year. So there was eight of us at this retreat, in this retreat, and one of them was a former UN hostage negotiator. So he's on the badass end of the scale. And the other one was this very sensitive filmmaker type dude. He's on the other end of the scale and everything in between. And when they really kind of ripped us apart to the guts of the whole thing, every single one of us needed to feel like we were enough. And every single one of us felt like we've never had a support system. It didn't matter who it was, where you grew up, what you did in life or whatever, whether you were sensitive or aggressive or whatever you were, it was all the same thing. And that whole stop crying and give you something to cry about parenting style, that's why I do a lot of things different with horses these days, because I think a lot of times good horse trainers are very good at getting the horses to not show what concerns them, teaching the horse to not show what concerns them instead of allowing them to show what concerns them and 
and working through it. So I've really changed a lot of stuff about how we go about with horses these days. These days, I'm really big on allowing the horse to say no. No is valuable information. No is not right or wrong. No is no. Is no. You're allowed to say no. And so for me, the whole journey has really been like a journey like in my mental health has really kind of been a parallel to the horses. And, and there's a lady that I had on the podcast. She's a, a trauma therapist from Canada named Sarah Schlotti. And she has a website. It's called Equisoma, E-Q-U-U-S-O-M-A. She has a blog on there about, about training styles and whether you are a full-on negative reinforcement person or a full-on positive reinforcement person. It talks about the life experiences you've probably had to choose one of those. And a lot of times your traumas are the reason you do a certain thing. And like the people that, that say only do positive reinforcement and, and think that everybody that, that puts any pressure on any horse is, is barbaric. She asked the question like, so were you not ever given a voice? And yada, yada, yada. And, and it's amazing to just answer those questions. And like, there's so much of my upbringing and so much of my trauma in my choices of how I choose to, to interact with my horse. And, it, you know, you really tend to project that stuff onto them. And when you find you stop projecting that onto them, you find that maybe the problem isn't the horse. I have a friend that helped me. She helped me get over some hurdles. So I had a fear. I had a block, which stopped me getting back on, on to my horse. And when I say, for me, riding would be sat on my horse, walking in a circle around the field. And that would be like I've won the lottery because she's 20 and I've had her since she was four. And she came and I thought she was more schooled than she was. And she wasn't, so she went off some training. And when she came back, she has other issues. Then I found out she has something called shivers. So, I, and I didn't know a lot about it then. So I thought, right, I'm not going to ride her. I, I'm not getting on her because I don't know enough about it. I, I know now that I should have kept going. So when I finally did want to get on my horse, I didn't have the money to send her off anywhere or get anybody in. So I used to use clicker training as play. And that taught me so much with her that we could interact. I would spend lots of time with her and we got to play and we got to do things and getting on her nearly. But as I got to that point of knowing I'm going to sit on my horse, my legs would be like jelly and all my energy would just flood out and I'd be like, I, I just can't get past that. And I had people that came out and helped me to get on her because I needed to get a saddle. And the only way I could do that is getting on her and I got on her. But I knew that if I didn't do that every day, that block would be back because it's not gone. And my friend, she's an animal communicator as well, actually. And she decided she wanted to work with the mind. She does lots of things now. And she used to practice on me. And, and I, I actually loved it because you could sit in the chair. She was starting to ask questions. And even before she got to the question, I would say to her, I, I know the answer to that is no, because my body is getting uncomfortable. It's starting to twitch. It's shifting because it knows something's coming. It's got to answer. And, and she hadn't even said what it was. So we used to play around with this. And she helped me with that. So I, I went out, did my norm, normal thing. And, and I thought, right, I'm going to take my bareback pad and put my barrel next to her and click her to come up to the barrel, which she did. And she'd look at me and, and i get on. And I used to practice leg off, leg on, leg off. And she'd look around as if say, are you getting on a walk? And I'd be like, she's looking at me. Does she not want me to get on? <laughs> And then in the end, it'd be like, oh, she wants me to get on. So I, I got on and I sat there 
And I thought, oh my God, I've done it. I've done it. There's no jelly legs. I've done it. And for me, it was the most amazing thing because I'd watch people go by riding the horses and I thought, I just want to sit on, on toots. I want to feel part of her. And the next stage was taking that step forward. And I was thinking, I don't think I can do that bit. I'm going to have to move my horse. And I goes, right, I'll go out the next day. I'll get my bareback pad. I'll put it on. I'm just going to sit on her. And I sat on her and then it was like, okay, toots, shall we just walk forward? And her ears were like, come on then. And she walked off and I was going, and she's like with her ears and it was just to anybody else it was like for god's sake it's taking you 10 years to get there girl but because of her i'm doing this and she says i'm speaking i can feel the emotion because i love her so much and she's given me so so much and because of her because of her i'm i'm doing doing things that I wouldn't have even dreamt of and we've still got a journey and I don't know where it's going to go but she's with me for life until it's her time to go because that's a promise I made to her and um I do I love her so much and she's still helping me in so many other ways so yeah I thought I'd just share that with you you know, I think that's the great thing. I said it before, but I think that's the great thing about horses is wherever you're at, they will help you with stuff. The, the thing you tend to find in the horse world is people tend to be very judgmental of someone who's not in the same place they're at. Like you said, people are walking by like, why don't you ride your horse? They're at the, the place where they're confident riding their horse. You're at the place where you're working on that. And you that's something I would like to see change is just let people be where they're at and view things the way they view it. Because, you know, everybody is right. Everybody is right as far as the way you view the world is the sum total of every experience you've ever had since you were born and possibly before you were born. You know what I mean? And to say someone is not looking at something the right way is to deny them that the fact that they're not in the same place you're at, you know what I mean? And so for me, I'm kind of lucky because I spent 48 years of my life looking at the world some way and then flipped a big switch. And it's not that long ago that I looked at the world a different way and, and especially the world of interacting with horses. And at the time I was right. And I was right because it worked. Like I was doing clinics around the world. I was training horses. People liked the videos. I had positive feedback, blah, 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 blah. I was right at the time. I wasn't wrong because it was working for me. But now I look back like, yeah, I look at things totally different now. And so for me, it's not that long ago that I was looking at things a certain way and I was sure I was right. And I was right at the time from the way I looked at the world, I was right. And I don't let it annoy me because otherwise I'd be go crazy. But just people judging other people about where they're at on their journey that's denying that you've got your own journey especially like if someone's further along the journey and i think there is a, a linear not a necessarily linear but let's say it's a linear path okay because for instance the way i look at things now there's no going back so i do think it's a higher level of whatever it's more connected it only goes one way it doesn't go the other way and if you look at somebody else who's not as far along the journey as you and you judge them, well, you're judging yourself when you're in that place because we've all been in 
whatever that place is. And I think people forget where they came from and forget the fact that everybody's on their own journey and it is what it is. In the horse world, there's a whole lot of judgment about what everybody else is doing, you know. I think at times I put pressure on myself because the people that know me know me for what I do. Sometimes I'd be ashamed. And I see, I'm saying that word and it's like, it's there, so it needs to come up. Because how can you give advice to people, even though it's coming from somewhere else? And then this is me judging me. This is not what people were saying to me, but this is me judging me. And then do that and then go home and not get that with your own horse. I do get it and the communication is there, but it's not always quite the same because my emotion baggage comes into it. I remember one day, this was quite a few years ago, I was sat in the paddock. And I'd often sit in the paddock for hours with twos. And I felt so bad for her that, that I wasn't able to give her a life that she deserved. And I was sat in the chair and I had my head in my hands. And I felt this nose on my shoulder. And it just flowed. And I've got it written somewhere, but I can't remember what it is. And she was just basically saying, I hear you. And I love you for what you are. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm okay. There was more to it than that. I went home and I wrote it all down. And it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. But yeah, I used to feel bad for her. Like I said, I wanted to fix it. And I actually had to let that go because that was a block. Me wanted to make her okay because in her head, she was okay. I was adding to it though, because the sparks were coming off me. And it was like, for God's sake, sort yourself out, girl, before you sort me out. Now, she has got physical stuff, as we all do. But if I bring with it this, I need to help you, it doesn't work. I have to take an emotional step back and be in that moment, which it's funny, a few days ago, she gave me a big lesson again. And as soon as I said, right, I know what's happening, she just changed. So she teaches me all the time. I, I get off track with my own emotions and it's usually when something's happened. But I, I do always blame me. I, I always look, it's, it's something I'm doing. So I always look at myself. I can't always change it straight away because I have to work it out. And then synchronicities and something can happen. I was asking for an answer to something and I thought, I'm asking five questions. No wonder they can't bloody answer me. So I just need to know what's the first thing I need to do so I can maybe sort the other bits out. And I asked the question and then I was sat in the field with a head torch on. It was dark where we are, reading Dr. Susan Sacred Spaces book. And it was the first paragraph about the mind in your head, the mind in your heart and the mind in your stomach. Because of what's happened the herds moved away, her friends had moved away. And it was like, boom, it's her stomach. Her stomach at the minute is ruling her. That's why she's reacting the way she is. And she's finding it hard to switch from that to the rational. So hopefully what I've just done now is that first bit of what I asked. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing you have to be careful of is, like a minute ago you said, yeah, I, I blame me not her. I, I, I probably want to change that word to not 
blame. Yeah. Because <laughs> you'll judge yourself. Yeah. But, I mean, understanding, yeah, it's something going on with me, it's not her. That's one thing. But when you put it as blame, it's like you're the problem. And I don't think you're the problem. You know, there may be some work to do there, but you try not to look at it as bad. It's just, it's just information. You know what I mean? And that whole judgment thing is, is quite hard. I was reading Jay Shetty's book, Think Like a Monk. And right at the very start of it, there's this quote. And I don't know if it's a good quote or not, but it says, you are not who you think you are. You are not who I think you are. You are who you think I think you are. I'd love to read that. <laughs> oh, Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk is a very cool book. Very, very cool book. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that book. There's a lot of wisdom in that book. But that one was like, whoa, I have to stop and stare at the wall for a while. <laughs> but I don't think we are who we think you think I am. But that's kind of who we think we are. Yeah. You know, it's not who we think we are. And it's not, you know, once again, it's not who you think you are. It's not who I think you are. You are is who you think I think you are. And I don't think that's true, but that's really who you think you are is who you think I think you are. Yes, I get that bit now, yeah. When I first read it, I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's true, but I don't think it's true, but I think that's who we truly think we are. Hmm. It's not who we think we are. It's who <laughs> think you think we think we are. Think, yes. And that's one of the hard things. Like, what I'm doing now, I'm somewhat in the public eye a little bit, to a greater degree, like in the horse community, yes, I've got a bit of a presence or whatever. But like, if you decide you want to be an actor or you want to play soccer or whatever, and you want to get to the top of the dunk pile, you are aware that you might be somewhat of a famous person. But when you just are doing what you do and then you end up to where, like I've got 27 million views on YouTube, there's a number of people who know who I am and follow what I do and all that sort of stuff. Getting whole wrapped up in that, that external validation thing, there's no school they send you to for that. And getting concerned about what other people think of you. You can have 500 people say something good about you and that one person says something bad and all of a sudden you're all bent out of shape because of that sort of thing. That's been a bit of a journey for me getting to where I'm not concerned about what other people think about either what I'm doing with the horses or why I'm running my business or even who I am, not that they know who I am because they've never met me, but you know what I mean? That's been probably a big struggle and I keep giving myself like social media sabbaticals to where I've just got to step away from it for a while and I'm thinking at some point in time I'm just gonna probably step away from it totally and still put content out but not interact like it's taken a fair toll on my mental health really and so yeah I, I, I'm thinking at some point in time I'm gonna kind of step away from it you know Obviously, you've got lots and lots of people. I, I, I joined the Facebook group, which, which was lovely because you are one of the, the few people that actually answer back. Well, now somebody was asking the questions about the horse or guidance, quite often used to answer, which was really nice. If you had time, you would answer, which was lovely. But I can see how the other side can come into that as well because of so many people that can comment and maybe comments you're not wanting and things like that. Yeah, and I answered questions on Facebook every day for 10 years. And I really think on the outside, I was doing it because I wanted to help people. But I think after a while, it took me a long time to realize it, but I think, you know what, that's a way of dissociating from the real world. I kind of get stuck on social media answering questions and 
kind of dissociate from the real world a little bit. So and I think that had a, quite an impact on my mental health. So yeah, I'm a little more cognizant about not feeling that if someone asks me a question, I have to answer it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, about the only, the only place that I do that religiously now is on my website. We, we built like an identical community to Facebook on my website. So it looks just like Facebook. You put your little profile picture up there. The whole thing looks the same, except it's just for subscribers to the to the website. And they can ask me questions. And I, I do that. I answer every question on there every day. But as far as like on Facebook or whatever, because people on Facebook have got no skin in the game. You know what I mean? They spend all this time trying to help them and they might not be ready to be helped. Yeah. And it just, yeah, kind of wore me down for quite a while, but I kept, Again, now I have to, and, and I've kind of got to the point now where I don't. Sometimes I get on my Facebook group and have a look around and I'll answer a question, but a lot of times I don't these days. You know, there's I, like 40,000 people in the group and a lot of them are fairly fluent in how I look at things with horses these days. So there's a lot of good answers, but there's a lot of bad answers. I used to go through every single comment, like delete that comment because that's not line with what I and I was just trying to control the whole thing too much. Like, I don't want to have somebody give an answer that's not in line with what I just got to forget that, that crap and kind of step away from it, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't feel right, it's it's time to change. You can do things. Like, I actually love this. It's such an experience. And I didn't have any knowledge. My computer skills is basic. And I found this StreamYard, which is so easy for me to use. I thought, okay, I go with that. I found Descript so I can download the audios and then I can edit it from that. Because the first time I did some editing, I think it took me five hours to do five minutes. I was like, holy Moses, there's not enough hours in the day to do this. So I found this and it still takes time because I listen to it in real time because I want it to flow. But I love it. I absolutely love it. But if that sort of subsided... Then I'd be thinking, okay, so where am I going? Because it's no longer a passion. So it must be something else that I'm going for or or it's leading to somewhere else. But at the minute, I absolutely love it. And I get to meet some amazing people as yourself. So when I sent you that text to ask you, I had a message three times. So when I have to pay attention, I get something three times. So if I'm busy at work, I'm driving. How it works is somebody's name will pop into my head. If it's a horse I've known already and, and want to pass something else on. I'll get the person and then the horse will come in. So I'll acknowledge it. Okay, that's the first time. And then I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. And then it will come in again. Okay, that's the second time. And then the third time I was driving, again, I literally just arrived home. And I'm going, what's he going to think? Oh, I'm just a groupie. I want to interview him because he's famous. Why would he listen to me? And this little voice going, third time, third time, third time. So I said, right, I'll send it. So I sent you the text. I think I said something, hi, how are you? I hope you don't mind me asking, but would you like to do an interview? This has come in my head three times and it's my cue to pass it on, regardless of the outcome. But that was the thing. I had to do that. And you can say, oh, it doesn't matter what happens afterwards, but you hope for something. At that moment in time, when I sent that message, the outcome, there was no attachment to the outcome. That would be Kathy Price's intention, attention, yeah. no tension. Yeah. And I thought, right, there you go, off you go. So when you sent me back, I was excited. 
Yeah, your, your name was on my radar. I, I knew you did something. I wasn't sure what it was. I, you know, I wasn't sure if you're an animal communicator. I knew you were sharing this journey with the world at large sort of thing. So, yeah, when your name popped up, I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Which was lovely. But but as you were saying earlier, you know, can I even say it? You are not who you think you are. Yeah. You are not who I think you are. You are, you are who you think I think you are. I knew you not that on a soul level, but my head was going, but he's this person. And that was like, and I've got to tell you this little funny thing and then I'm going to let you go. When I sent you a text to organize the date, I think I, I did a typo error and I put the 25th or something, even though I said the 24th. And the reply was, you said the 24th first place and the 25th, which one is it? Bear in mind, there's no tones to text. Now you've sent that text. Straight away, there was a trigger in me. And I was like, oh God, he's cross with me. Oh my God, I've upset him. And I was like, that's a trigger. Now, I used to be a people pleaser. When I say that, I want people to like me because that comes from a kid. I, I yep. want to be liked. And my friend's parents, I want them to like me. It's important that they like me too. So when you sent that back, and especially strong character men, so I can talk to strangers. It's never pretty problem. In fact, sometimes I prefer to talk to strangers. Majority of the time being like that. Even when I'm shy, I find it easier to talk to strangers than to friends. But a strong men, so it could be to do with father figure. I've no idea, but I'm not analyzing it. But I knew there was a trigger. When you said that, I instantly felt and I was like, oh, for God's sake, get a grip. He's asking a question. Really asking was, is it? At midday on Thanksgiving, because if that's the case, yeah, it won't work. That's it won't work. I know. It was more of the, the trigger. And it oh. was like, okay, so I recognize that. That was a trigger. And no, that isn't you anymore. That isn't that little girl that you think that trigger connected to. That isn't you anymore. So then, okay, this is me now. See, I think that's the key right there. You don't necessarily have to fix that. When you can be aware of it, Reckon. you know, being aware that you are thinking that way, you can kind of be the observer of yourself. I think that's the start of all the cool stuff, but you, you can't get any further along until at least you start to become aware of that sort of thing. Yeah. Aware that you're triggered, not just be triggered and not know you're triggered. You know what I mean? But I think mm. that becoming aware of that is the start to being able to solve that stuff. The big thing is just being aware of it. You know, what's really weird for me is... Kind of like you said, well, I don't want to talk to you because you're a famous or, you know, like, I'm not. As far as I know, I'm not. Maybe to you I am. Maybe I am. But I don't know I am. You know, it's just the weirdest thing to, it's funny, like my wife used to laugh. We go to horse expos and people come up to the booth and like fangirl, you know, and she go, that's so weird. <laughs> But then one day Robin was out, she listens to a lot of Brene Brown, like on audiobooks, and one day she was out walking, I think, around the neighborhood. She was listening to Brene Brown, and all of a sudden she thought, if I ever got to meet Brene Brown, I would rush up to him, like, oh, my God, you've changed my life. She goes, hang on, that's what they do to work at the horse experts. So I feel like Brene Brown about those people feel about worried. Oh, I totally understand it now. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it's, it used to weird me out at the horse expos because I would get that a lot. That, that's when I was just helping people with their horses. Now I realize there's a whole lot deeper stuff to it. So when people come up and say, hey, thank you so much, you've changed my life or whatever, I'm like, well, yeah, thank you. I'm humbled to be part of your journey sort of thing. Because I understand that that's really what the calling is, is helping people with themselves. 
by helping them with their horses. And I think that's the great thing about horses. Like what you work through to be able to sit on your horse and then actually walk off, that wasn't a horse thing. No. Part of you that you're working on. But the thing is, there's probably nothing else in your life that drives you enough to do that hard work on yourself except your horse. And I've seen it so much. Like people will not do the work for their husbands or their kids or their wives or their coworkers or their boss or whatever, but they'll do it for the horse. And then you get that carryover to where everybody else in their life benefits from that as changes, not just the horse. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just endless. It, It connects to your friends, friends of friends, because... You, you don't try and change somebody else, you change yourself. And that reflects back on whoever you're coming to contact with. You can smile at a stranger. And if you're in that right frame of mind, you smile at a stranger and they give you a smile back. I mean, I've done it myself. It's lovely. You go away with a, a warm feeling because the stranger smiles at you. Mm. And, and you, made, you made a change in their day too. Yeah. I remember you were talking about when you were in the airport and you used to say to people, May you be happy. I remember listening to that on your podcast and I was at work because I, I have a part-time job as well. And I was working and this person came in and I could feel myself getting a bit grumpy. I thought, right, okay, here we go. So I was just sending out these vibes and I certainly felt better. Yeah, it was interesting. And I do it when I remember. I say it sometimes in a different way. It doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. yeah I got on a plane here recently for the first time in a year and a half. And I totally forgot about maybe happy. So I'm walking to the airport and I'm walking along and I'm judging, 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 judging. Oh, shit. Hang on. Maybe happy, maybe happy, maybe happy, maybe happy. You know, you just get into those ruts. You get into those habits of doing that. Yeah. We don't walk around with wings on our back with halos and that's not life, is it? And when you were talking about your past life, because you're not the same person, that past life, you can see it with different eyes, but also you've experienced it. So when somebody else comes along and they are that person that you were or similar, you can recognize the bullshit. You can recognize that because that was you. You've experienced it and you know that. So that's important. To me, that's important because you saw what you were, what you are now, and you can see the difference because of that. If you'd been you now, maybe the lessons wouldn't be so profound. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, don't th- I don't think it would have been. Yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. And the thing you got to do is, like I said, look back on, not judge that at all. There's a, a British guy named Peter Crone. You ever heard of Peter Crone? No. Peter C-R-O-N-E. He was a personal trainer, came to the US and was a personal trainer and ended up being a personal trainer for Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman when Tom Cruise was filming all the Mission Impossibles. He's really now into more of the mental side of stuff. He's not necessarily a personal trainer, but he basically says everything is perfect the way it is. Every experience you've had, where you're up to now, right now, this is where you are supposed to be. Don't wish it were different. This, It's all perfect the way it is and yeah, he's a, he's a pretty cool dude. Has he been in your podcast? Has no, he been in your... no, he's a big deal. He wouldn't have been in my podcast. So just because he's a big deal, it doesn't mean to say he won't be on your podcast. To worry well, he hasn't, he hasn't been in my podcast, but in that way. So you have to change that phrase, don't you? Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm coming up on a, a million views in my podcast, so we're actually trying to get a big deal right now. And I just got a text while we were talking uh, that 
someone I know knows a big deal. <laughs> While we're talking, the person had texted me back and said, yeah, I might be able to get that big deal for your Stay tuned, we might have a big deal. On that, I think we should actually draw this to an end. It's been absolutely a, a pleasure and you've made me feel so relaxed. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's been fun. You're welcome. Is there anything you'd like to say? Words of wisdom. Well, you kind of touched on a minute ago, but the world is a reflection of how you view the world. And you create your own reality and your mindset creates that reality. As I like to say, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Absolutely. Thank you. That's perfect. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks for joining me. It was fun. Thank you so much, Warwick, for that. And thank you, everybody that's commented. There's so many comments. So I hope he gets to see these later. And I will reply to everybody. I just didn't want to keep interrupting him because it's just lovely to hear him chat about life and where he is today. Thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so grateful for your support. I'm buzzing and I'm not actually shaking anymore. So talk to you soon take care bye for now and thank you bye you've been listening to ronnie king at equine voices thank you for listening and speak to you soon